Hebrews chapter number 10, as I said, we're in our series, Back to the Basics. Today, I'm going to preach a message on getting back to faithful worship. And, and I don't know how I could have illustrated any more than that song service, how we need to worship. Are you with me this morning? And all God's people said, Amen. we need that. We need to sing. We need to hear songs. That ensemble, special brother, that special was just incredible. And I appreciate those, that singing. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest uh, <clears throat> by the blood of Christ, blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated or set aside for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us what, church? Hold fast. One more time, let us what? Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And what? How often? Oh, don't, don't say that so much the more. No. So much the more. Let's say, ready to begin? So much the more as you see the what? Does anybody here see the day, the day of Christ approaching? Does anybody here think it's farther away than it used to be? No, it's approaching. And so we see that it says so much the more. Have I ever mentioned to you that I love In-N-Out? Did I ever, <laughs> ever tell you about that? I do. I love In-N-Out. But I also love Texas Roadhouse. I love those hot rolls with that cinnamon sweet butter. How many know what I'm talking about? And you put it on top and it just melts just so slightly off to the side. And I eat a whole basket of those things right off the bat. I love In-N-Out. Oh, by the way, I love Chinese food. I love Dave Wong's. Anybody ever been to Dave Wong's up in Stockton? You ever been there? Best Chinese food, I think. I love Chinese food. Anybody else like Chinese food? All right, making you hungry. Okay, this is a later crowd. I love Indian food. Does anybody here love Indian food? Yeah, ch chicken tiki masala. Come on, give me a witness. I love El Salvadorian food. Papusas? How many like papusas? Oh, I'm, t I'm killing you. I know I am. I'm saying, Pastor, just give me some fried chicken. I'll be happy. Amen. <laughs> Do you know what I love about, about living in California, especially this area? If you want a kind of food, you can find it. You have all kinds of different choices. And I love Filipino food. This last week, Brother JB and Emma, I don't know where you are. JB and Emma, where'd you go? Where'd you go? There you are. There you are right there. They, bought, they brought to my house. They dropped off an entire cooked uh, linchon for my birthday. That thing was gone in one meal, brother. My kids ate the whole thing. But uh, I love food. I love all kinds of different kinds of food. I love, uh, I love the choices of having choices in food. But can I just say something this morning? Church is not the same as a restaurant. Church is not the same. You choose to eat at a restaurant. You choose at what restaurant you want to eat at but you belong to a church. Amen. I said, you belong to a church. Why is regular worship so important? Why is having a local church family so important? Is it important to have a local church that you go to week after week and worship in on a regular basis? Is that important? And if it is, why is it important? Church is church to you like a restaurant. You go when you feel like it. If you don't feel like going, you don't go. 
You go to different places. If you feel like going to this place to get this thing, you go to that place to get that thing. Or is a church a place that you belong to? I think that these questions, and I think church is more important than it's ever been. I'm, I am convinced of that. Not because church is more important than it's ever been, but Christians today do not see church as being as important as it should be. Church has become something almost like Burger King. Have it your way. You can find a church tailored to your specific needs and desires. You can attend with no pressure. My wife was looking at a church she used to go to back in the day. And on the reviews of the church, somebody said, I love this church. There's no pressure. There's no pressure to to do anything. You could just come and there's no pressure to serve the Lord or become a member or anything like that. I thought, Lord, help us. If you go to church and there's no pressure to do what's right. Lord, help us. I don't want people, if you write a review about our church, just say, you know, the pastor's handsome or something. I don't know. Just kidding. But that's not the kind of church that we ought to be looking for. You don't want to be a part of a church that doesn't challenge you to serve God. I need to be challenged to serve God. It's like going to a gym and then having McDonald's in the gym. You don't need to work out, just eat food. You'll be fine. No, that's not the way it is. There are churches you can go to as long as you send your tithe in the mail. They don't care. They don't care. I think the American church is coming to be that way. And, but I don't, first of all, I don't believe that's Christ's vision for the church. And secondly, I don't believe that's Central Valley Baptist Church. And we don't have to be that way. Here's a question, and then I'll pray. What kind of a church does Christ want us to be a part of? What kind of a church member does Christ want us to be? How many of you today want to do what Christ wants us to do? I want to be a part of the vision that Christ has for his church. And so today, as I preach this message, I preach it with a humble heart today. And it's a convicting message. But I preach it out of a sincere heart today. We need to get back to faithful worship. Father, I pray that you'd help us. As I preach this message today, I pray it would not hurt anybody but help. It would not discourage but encourage. It would convict us, yes, Lord, but not crush us. God, I pray that this message would be a help to someone today. Someone needs this message like I do today. I pray that it would help us. Holy Spirit, please help us to remove the distractions. There are always so many. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The coronavirus and all of the implications of that has greatly affected churches across our country. In the last six months, statistics tells us that 91% of churches have closed their doors completely. Many of them still have not reopened their doors. Many Christians are still at home waiting for the right time to return to church and waiting for the safety of whatever vaccine or whatever comes out. And some people at home, and I think that there's those with underlying conditions and things that need to be very careful, I understand. But also there's perfectly healthy people that are staying at home for no reason. And churches, and by the way, I understand there's people home today watching on live, and I'm glad you're watching, and I know that some are home for different reasons, but may I just say today that church cannot take place on your couch. Many church leaders have speculated what church is going to look like after the pandemic. I found this, web, this website, Pew Research. You've heard of Pew Research, but here's what they said. While some have wondered whether the pandemic will permanently change the way people practice religions, the truth is the statistics tells us that most of U.S. churchgoers say that their religious attendance habits will revert back to what they were before the pandemic. 
This includes 40%, 42% of Americans say they actually attend in-person services at least twice a month. That's the statistic, 42% of America. 43% of America says they do not attend church religious services. Both groups say they will go back to their uh, original habitual church service, uh, 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 what they do normally. One statistic, which was a good statistic, said that of those who regularly attended church before the pandemic, 10% said they're going to try to go to church more after the pandemic. And I praise God for that. Because I don't know about you, I, I was born into church. I literally, I never grown up, I'm not saying this to brag, I'm just telling you what it was for me. It wasn't my choice. I was either drugged to church or drugged and brought to church. You know what I'm talking about? And so all my life, my parents, every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever, I was there. And that's how I was raised. I know many of you were raised that way. Some of you not so much. Some of you went once a month or whatever, once a month. Maybe you were raised a Easter. You went on Christmas and Easter. And that's how you were raised. And I understand that all of us here, come from different backgrounds. We all have different uh, philosophies of, of faithfulness. But I just want to say something this morning that Christ has a definition of faithfulness. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 25, and I've never heard a message on church faithfulness without hearing Hebrews 10, 25. So we're going to expound on this scripture biblically, con contextually today to understand what it's talking about. Look at verse 25, not forsaking the what? assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and how much? So much the more as we see the day approaching. What is this passage saying? The Bible is full of uh, passages that encourage us to love each other as Christians, does it not? It encourages us to be in unison, to, to help one another, to pray for one another, to uh, work together. But this passage is a little bit different because it gives us a direct command from Scripture on how we are to relate to church in our attendance. I think most people in this room believe that Christ's vision for the church is to attend faithfully. I think most people would say, yes, uh, Christ or God wants me to go to church. And But more, more and more Christians today are seeking a different type of church, a different uh, philosophy towards church. And people today, more than ever, are forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They're forsaking that. They're worshiping at home. They're, they have a, a, a lackadaisical view towards church attendance or they're worshiping in the woods or on a boat. And I love to fish. Well, I'll tell you, I don't worship God on a boat. I don't, you can't assemble. You can only assemble with one other person on a boat usually. And that, that definition of assembling together is a false definition. And so if you study this scripture, we will see that Christ is very clear in his expectation of faithful worship. Christ has a very clear expectation of how he wants us to worship at church and how often he wants us to come together. You say, Pastor, how often is that? And so we're going to get into this message, and I think it'll help us from a biblical context understand what Christ expects from us. So number one, I only have two points today. And all God's people said, hey, man, two points, that's it. Then you can go home, all right, and go to in and out All right, number one, Christ why should we be faithful? Why should we have faithful worship? Number one, Christ deserves our faithfulness. I said Christ deserves our faithfulness. He deserves it. Let's say that together. Christ deserves our faithfulness. 
He deserves it. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 explains what Christ did for us. Look at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, his blood shed for us made it possible for me to worship in the first place. Verse 20, by a new and living way. How many of you, when you got saved, boy, it was a new way for you. How many, when you got saved, your life changed and it was a new and living way? I remember what it was like being unsaved, this dead, disgusting way of life over here, being not saved and not knowing Christ. But when we got saved because of the shed blood of Christ, I have a new and living way. And that is a gift that Jesus gave us by dying on the cross. Verse 21, he is our high priest in the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart, a full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 20 tells us there is a new and living way that Christ consecrated himself. That means through his body, the Bible says that it was the veil that was torn. You remember the veil, the Jewish veil there that separated us from the Holy of Holies. The Bible says that his body was broken for us and the veil was twain. Christ's body was broken for you and for me on that cross. And when he died on the cross, the, the veil was rent in twain. And because of that, you and I have the opportunity to worship God in church or worship God in prayer. We have that ability because of Christ. It's not because of my works. It's not because I was raised in church. It's not because my dad's a pastor. It's not because I'm a good person. It's only because of the blood of Christ I have the opportunity to worship in the first place. You see, I and you and we worship God on a regular basis because Christ deserves it. He deserves it. Why does he deserve it? How does he deserve it? Letter A, because Christ died for our forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I'm a sinner. I'm not proud of my sin. I hate it. I wish I could go a day without sinning. I wish I could go a whole week and come to the week over and say, man, I didn't sin this week. Never going to happen. I wish I could, but I'm a sinner. And Hebrews chapter number 10, look at verse 1 with me. Look at what it says. It says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices, talking about the sacrifices of goats and animals and these things for sin, which are offered year by year, continually maketh the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible, the Bible says, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. For by, look at, skip down to verse 14. For by one offering, he, Christ, hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Before Christ died on the cross, there was the law. If you wanted to get forgiveness of your sins, you had to find a goat or whatever, a turtle dove or whatever. You bring it and you would sacrifice for that. You would make atonement for that every year, every year, every year. And you'd walk away from that. And guess what? There was no atonement for that sin. It was just a sacrifice system. It was every year, every year. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he paid the penalty once and for all. And my sin is forgiven. He doesn't remember our sins. They are forgiven. Christ died for us and he deserves our faithfulness. He deserves it. I said he deserves it. Now, just think about that. Let's just think about that. He deserves it. Oftentimes, we think about what Christ did for us. And if, I, if we really thought about what Christ did for us, how is it then that we say within our hearts, what's the least I could do? What's the least amount I can get away with? He deserves more than that. 
More than that. I know, listen, look at me. I know I don't deserve it. I don't deserve your faithful church attendance. Don't deserve it. Your spouse doesn't deserve it. The Sunday school teacher doesn't deserve it. He deserves it. We mess up. We're humans. Sometimes I say things from the pulpit. I go home. I look at my wife. I say, I can't believe I said that. She goes, I know. No, (laughs) We don't deserve it. Man doesn't deserve faithfulness. You can say amen. Man doesn't deserve it, but he deserves it. Amen. He deserves it. Every year, the sacrifice would be brought, and every year, more sins would take place. But Christ, he made the ultimate sacrifice. Our sin debt has been paid once and for all. Hebrews 10.9 tells us that the law was eliminated through Christ. And because of him, there are no more sacrifices. There is no more law, just forgiveness in Christ. He deserves it because he died for our forgiveness, letter B. Christ deserves it because he demonstrates faithfulness. Notice verse 22. Notice the challenge. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Notice the challenge here that Paul says in Hebrews. He says, let us draw near with a true heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful. Has anybody here ever experienced the unfaithfulness of Christ? Has Christ ever disappointed you? Has he, he's never let me down. He's never disappointed me, not one time. He is faithful. We must recognize today that we do not belong to us. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your place there in Hebrews 10. We're going to go back there, but go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. We're going to read verses 19 and 20. Many of you today probably could quote these verses. They're very familiar verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, look at verse 19. What? Paul says, what? What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, brother Paul, which ye have of God, and you're not your own? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirits, which are God. Christ demonstrated faithfulness to us By dying on the cross for our sin, death is destroyed. Sin is taken care of. Heaven is our home. He deserves our faithfulness. Why should we be faithful? Not because of anything other than Christ deserves it. He deserves it. If we are truly saved, if you're truly saved today, I would not pretend to think that everyone in this room is truly saved. That's only between you and the Lord. But if you're truly saved today and you really recognize what Christ did for you, even someone like me who grew up in church and and I didn't get saved. I'm not a first generation Christian. I get saved out of a life. But I recognize, I recognize the sinfulness in my heart, the deceptiveness, the hypocrisy in my heart. I see that. I saw that sin in me and the, the, the evilness inside of me. And when I recognize what Christ has done for me, my heart goes from what Christ demands of me to what Christ deserves from me. In other words, I don't focus on what's the least I can do. I don't think to myself, well, what's the minimum amount of church I can go to and still be a Christian? What's the minimum I can do, Brother Asprelli, to still, we don't think that way. I said, we don't think that way. Because when we recognize what Christ did, it's not about what he demands, but it's about what he deserves. He deserves our best, does he not? Say amen, church. I know this is convicting today, but he deserves my best. My best. Not my leftovers. 
He deserves my best, not this part of my schedule. He is my schedule. He deserves not just this much, just the leftovers. He deserves everything. He deserves it. I love being around new Christians. I love it when somebody gets saved because there's that raw recognition of who they were and what Christ did for them and watching them. And I remember when I first got saved, how excited I was. Why? Because I realized Christ deserves my everything. Think about a marriage. Your marriage would not last very long if you approached your marriage of what's the least I can do. If you looked at your wife one morning and said, honey, what's the least amount of faithfulness you want from me? If you were like married to my wife, you'd be getting dentures the next day. (laughs) Amen. We don't approach our marriages that way. What can I get away with, honey, and still be married to you? We don't, look at our, we don't look at our job that way. We don't go to our boss and say, How, what's the least amount of times I can show up to work and not get fired? That's not the way we are. When it comes to Christ, doesn't he deserve so much more? Why are we faithful? Why is faithfulness important? Because he deserves it. He deserves it. Faithful worship is done out of a heart that recognizes that Christ deserves my worship. Pastor, how often then does Christ want me to go to church? How often does a wife want her husband to show her that he loves her? Well, how often am I supposed to do this, Pastor? How often, what's the expectation? How often does your wife expect you to be married? The answer is not found in a number. The answer is found in our hearts. I know this is convicting today, but we get so hung up on minimums. Too many Christians are making the minimum payment. Doesn't Christ deserve more? Some people say, I don't need to go to church to show others my relationship with Christ. I don't need to do that. I have nothing to prove. I want to ask you a question. Is regular worship necessary to your relationship with Christ? If it is, and how often does Christ want us to worship Him? We know, to, we know Christ deserves our relationship, our faithfulness. He died for that. He died for our forgiveness. He demonstrated faithfulness. But what does faithfulness look like? What does it look like to be faithful? Does that mean that I need to come every single service? Does that mean that it's twice a month? Does that mean once a year, Christmas and Easter? What does faithfulness look like? Look at verse 23 of Hebrews chapter number 10. I'm thankful. I don't have to guess about this. It's in the Bible, and we know what it says. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. How do we do that? How do we not waver? What does that mean? Look at verse 24. Let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. Now, how many of you like English? You like English? I mean, studying English, not just the language, but you like studying it. Punctuation, sentence structure, raise your hand. Where's all my smart people? All right, good. I know Brother Asprelli's big in English and loves that. If you look at verse 24, what is the punctuation mark? It's a what? It's a colon. Some of you are sleeping right now. (laughs) It's a colon, okay? What is a colon? A colon separates two independent clauses. The second part of the clause explains or illustrates the first. And so in other words, verse 25 illustrates verse 24. So look at verse 24. Let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. That's what we're supposed to do. And then the writer goes on to explain or illustrate a way that we can do that in verse 25. We consider one another and provoke unto love and good works, verse 25, by not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, by exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. 
The writer is illustrating for us how we do church the way that Christ wants us to do church. Verse 25. So my second point, and thank the Lord for you, my, my last point today, amen? Why is it important to be faithful to church? First, because he deserves it. And secondly, because Christ defines, he defines faithfulness for us. He defines it. How does Christ define faithfulness? How does he do that? We love to put qualifiers on faithfulness. He's faithful because he does this. Or I, I'm faithful because I do that. But how does Christ Define how does he qualify faithfulness? I have three quick things that Christ, I believe in this, this verse here, helps us understand. Letter A here, Christ defines faithfulness by assembling. His definition of being faithful is assembling together. And all God's people said? Amen. It's by assembling. So let's say that together. It's by Christ defines, first of all, faithfulness by assembling. That means if we're not assembling, we're not faithful. According to Christ's definition, assembling is important. It's very important to uh, our church experience. We're going to explain why it's important, but let's not skip this too quickly. Assembling together is important. There are many in our culture today that would say that church is not essential. How many disagree with that statement? Yeah, church is essential. It's essential. Some would argue that you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That's probably true. You don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You can watch online. You can be a member of, uh, you know, go to different churches and do whatever you like. But what is Christ's definition of faithfulness? His definition is not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm not exactly sure why the writer wrote this. Maybe the Jewish people would not assemble with the Gentiles. And maybe the writer was saying, don't forsake. You assemble with them. I don't know exactly why. But the point here is, is that Christ, through the inspiration, of the Holy Spirit here wants us to assemble. What does the word church mean? The word church is ecclesia. It means a called out assembly. Sometimes we'll say we're going to church. And sometimes in our minds, it's okay. We think we're going to a building. But the truth is, is that if this building were to fall down, we can still have church. Because the assembly, you and I, are what is the church. Faithfulness to that assembly is Christ's definition of faithfulness. In other words, you should belong to a church. Amen. You should belong to a church. It doesn't have to be this one, but it should be a church. Brother Brother Stanley says, get over, you're out of the shot. All right, I'll come back over here. Be Be a part of a church. And all God's people said, this, isn't, this is a Baptist church. Let's say amen, all right? It's okay. We're a part. We ought to be a part of that. Be a part of it because we're assembling together. This church, Central Valley Baptist Church, is a very important place, not because of the building, but because of the assembly, you and I. I remember, Brother John, where you at, Brother John? I remember, uh, Brother Paul, you remember these days? Back over there on 520 North Union Road. Little storefront there. Couldn't fit 80 chairs in that. The bathroom, no joke, the bathroom, if this was the, there, the bathroom was right there. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you waited till the end of church service. If you want to get up and walk and go to the bathroom, you'd hear like, whoosh, people walk out, go back to their seat. I mean, the buses trying to fit in there, no parking, no parking. But it wasn't about that building. It was about the people. I remember the first service I walked out on this platform. I was so thankful. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe we had this, this amazing building. I couldn't believe those days. It was amazing. But it wasn't about the building. It's about the people assembling together. Christ, 
His definition of faithfulness is assembly. Christ designed the church to assemble. That means he wants Christians to leave their homes, to go to a location and be with each other. And all God's people said, amen. 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 How often, pastor? (laughs) How often? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to the next, next part here, letter B. So Christ defines faithfulness as assembling. How often, though? How often should we assemble? Letter B, Christ defines faithfulness as so much the more. As what, church? So much the more. Christ defines faithfulness as assembling. How often? How often am I supposed to come to church? Pastor, so much the more. Well, what if I only come once a month? Then come so much the more. Well, how much, what if I come every service? Hey, so much the more. We are supposed to assemble so much the more. I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. So much the more. Why? Because we see the day approaching. The day of Christ, the rapture of the church, the signs of the times. I don't think there's anybody here who thinks we're getting farther away from the rapture. No, we're getting closer day in and day out. And because of that, it's so much the more. It's so much. Hey, we need each other today. We need the church today. We need preaching today. We need fellowship today. We need Sunday school today. We need to be together today. We Listen, I love going on hikes, and I love going fishing, and I love being with all the different things and basketball games and different stuff like that. But I don't need all that stuff. I need church. So much the more. How often, pastor? So much the more. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So much the more. How often, pastor? So much the more. How often does Christ deserve us to be faithful? He deserves my best, my full attention, my priority. He deserves it. I understand people work. I understand all those things. Please don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. But instead of less church attendance, So many Christians are doing less. I'm not talking about our church. I'm talking about across our country. It's less and less. And isn't it supposed to be so much the more? The the disciples met every day. I have one last thought for you before I close today. Why is all this so important? Why are you getting so worked up, Pastor? Go to Ephesians chapter number four. In your Bibles, Ephesians chapter four. Why is all this so important? You see, I think a lot of Christians... They, they, they have a hard time with their church, their faithfulness to church, because they misunderstand what church is all about. If we would recognize what church is about, it will help us to have a passion for it. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherein you're called, with lowliness and meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is what? One, one body, one spirit, even as you're called, the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, all who's above all and through all and in you all. But unto everyone is given us the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, as he ascended up on high, led captivity captive. And notice this, he gave gifts unto men. So then Paul explains the, the, the reasons why God gives the church a pastor so he, and other, other workers. Notice what it says. Uh, uh, it says here, uh, uh, he gave some apostles, verse 11, some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, 
unto a perfect man, unto the measure and stature of fullness of Christ. Now look at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, but, and the slight of men, cunning craftiness, wherein we, they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in him all things, which is the what? The head. What is Christ the head of? The church. You see, the church should be important to us because the church is important to Christ. He's the head of it. Moving on, look at verse 16. From whom the whole what, church? The whole body fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The reason why assembling is so important to Christ and is so important to you and I is because you and I are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. So look at your neighbor and say, you're the body of Christ. Now look at your other neighbor and say, can I borrow some money? No, just look at him and say, you're the body of Christ. Brother Paul, you and Brother, Brother Spillman there, you're the body of Christ. Body of Christ. Brother Renison, you and my dad there, you're sitting in front of each other. Uh, you're the body of Christ together. Brother Alex, you and all the way back there to Brother David, the body, we're the body of Christ. Amen. See, sometimes I think we get in our heads that we go to church because it's just what we're supposed to do. That's not the intention of going to assemble together. We're going to be with the body. Letter C, lastly today, Christ defines or demands, excuse me, Christ demands faithfulness as attention, as attention to the body. Christ doesn't define our faithfulness whether we show up to the building or not. Are you listening? He defines faithfulness by our attention to the body. Watch. Look at verse 24. Let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. How do we do that? Christ wants us to consider each other, to provoke one another to good works, to love each other, to pray for one another, to hug each other, to give each other a high five or fist bumps or whatever we're supposed to be doing, to do these things. Why? Because that is his definition of faithfulness, how I pay attention to the body. What's taking place here today is very important. You and I are the body of Christ. Our faithfulness, listen to this, please. I'll be, I'm almost done. Our faithfulness is not about attendance to a building. It's about our attention to the body. You can come to church and leave church. Never say one word to anybody. That's not the purpose of the church. Amen. Somebody help me now. Now, I have my days and so do you where I want to get in my car and go home. Amen. I know. I know what you're talking about. I've been there. But the, attention, the point of the church is to get together as a body and to see one another and encourage each other. There's some senior saints in this room that need your encouragement. They're part of the body. There's a teenager that needs you to pull them aside and just give them some encouragement and talk to them. Don't reprimand them. Don't tell them this or that. Just say, man, I'm so, how are you doing? How's school going? Just talk to them. These little kids that are running around, they're not annoying. They're not a nuisance. They're a precious blessing from the Lord. They're part of the body. The Filipinos are part of the body. Our Spanish ministry, part of the body. Any color, any creed, any economic status, it doesn't matter. It's all part of the body. That's why Christ is passionate about us assembling together because we need each other. Amen. We're part of the body. 
we're faithful to Christ, when we're faithful to each other, it's not about, because remember, Christ is the head of the body. So when you're faithful to the body, you're being faithful to him. When we're faithful to each other, it's not just about coming to the building and fulfilling a role, but it's about helping, supplying, encouraging, provoking the body. If you're a Christian today and you're truly saved, if you're a part of this church, you are a part of this body. I'm going to make a very strong statement. I hope you're ready for it. If you're a member of this church, every other member in this church is your responsibility. And all God's people said, amen. amen. They're your responsibility. You, each other, you're, it's your responsibility. Well, pastor, nobody's nice to me and nobody talks to me. That's okay. You go be nice to someone. Amen. Go talk to someone. You go be a body, help somebody else in the body. Amen? Last time I checked, I have all my fingers and all my toes. I'm pretty sure, Brother Asprelli, if I lost one of them, I would notice. The other day I was fishing with my wife. We're out on the boat there in the river. And uh, she always catches bigger fish than I do. It drives me crazy. I think God just does that to me. But anyway, we're out there fishing. And uh, I got my, got my pole there. And I'm getting it all rigged up, getting it ready to, to cast. And, and Brother Renison, I, I, I grabbed my pole and I was dealing with the front of it where I'm hooking my hooks and weights. And I picked up the back of my pole and I wasn't paying attention. And it was underneath my other pole. I have two poles. My other pole with a brand new baitcaster reel on it that I just bought. $75 reel. Pull and a pole. And I pulled it up and it bloop in the water. And my wife goes, what was that? And I look over and I look down and there it goes down to the bottom. Gone forever. Gone forever. <laughs> I noticed when it went missing. I'll just tell you that. How much more if my finger went missing? You see, we're all part of the body. And when we're not there to assemble, it hurts. It hurts. Maybe pastors get upset at people who miss church. I don't get upset. I don't get mad at people who miss church. I figure it's between them and the Lord. Whatever they do is between them and the Lord. But as the shepherd, the under-shepherd, and as a part of the body, it hurts, not because I'm mad that you're not here, but because it hurts, because I know that when somebody's not for work, I'm not talking about vacations, I'm talking about just laying out of church, I know that it's because you're hurt, and it hurts because you're hurt. You're part of the body. When one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body knows it. Isn't that the way that it should be? How many of you want a pastor that hurts when you're hurting? Only half of you. All right, well. I know in your heart, you want that. Faithfulness to church is not about just coming to this building. Although sometimes that's what we do. But we come to the building to give attention to the body. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. That is an illustration of how we provoke each other to love and good works. We're faithful to Christ when we're faithful to each other. If you're a Christian and you're part of this body, Recognize today that you're responsible one to another. And if you're here today and you're not a part of this church or this body, I want to tell you, this is a church that wants you and loves you. If you're watching online, this church wants you and, lo and will love you as best as we can. And we fail, we try to do better, but you're welcome here. Any person is welcome here. I know that this year has been especially challenging for some. I understand that. For many of us, <clears throat> it's been a test of our faithfulness and a test of our love for the body. 
The truth is many of God's people need to get back to regular worship. It's just the truth. My wife wrote a poem and, and she gave this to me on Monday and uh, she begged me not to read it, begged me not to tell you she wrote it, but I'll pay for it later. But she wrote this and it just, it convicted me so much in my heart. Here's what she wrote. There was a time in your life when I, talking about God, was so important. All of your days, minutes, hours for me only were spent. Then a time came when you were just too busy. You couldn't fit me into your schedule. You wish you could have been there, but really, I wasn't essential. You missed because of work. Your schedule is just strange. This all is only temporary. We're busy. It will soon change. Then the babies came along. Joy, love, and hope they always bring. But this demands, but, but his demands were more important. There was no time for worshiping. Music lessons, ball games, just to name a few, are of the things that filled your time, yet the list still grew. Over time, house repairs, quick family getaways, all these things started crowding your life and endlessly filling up your days. So I did a little experiment to see what would arise. Was it really the blessings that I've given you that were now causing your demise? One by one, I closed them up. I took them away. I shut them down. I canceled your plans. I ruined your vacation. I made it so you couldn't even leave town. I cut your hours. I canceled school to see what I would learn. Excuses gone, just you, just me and you. I waited patiently for your return. Sorrow filled my heart and soul. I had known deep down that it was true. Long ago, these earthly things had just become more important to you. More important to you. Now that they're gone, the blessings, the gifts, and the freedoms... I thought that might break through, but instead of returning to me by choice, you found something else to do. I read that and I thought, man, I don't want that to be my life. I don't want the blessings that God gives me to pull me away from him. He deserves my faithfulness.